Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. I'm here with my friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. We're here with our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham, as well as intern Erica on the ones and twos. Guys, lots going on in the city, lots going on in the world. This is an episode of Free Dumb because we do not have a feature guest today, uh, but we have a great feature guest coming up who I'm going to be interviewing later today, but we'll hold it back in case he doesn't call in and then we seem silly for announcing him. Mm-hmm. But uh, pretty exciting for us, I think. Yeah. So, guys, lots going on. Like I said, uh, I mean, I know we've been talking about the Raptors a lot on this podcast, but we might as well open with them. They lost Game 5 at home, uh, a game that they, if they had won, they would have clinched the NBA Finals and it would have been coming north of the border for the first time in NBA history. Of course, if you follow along, they did not do that. Um, but, Max, you were at the game. Yeah, I feel like um, I almost feel bad about doing this Raptors episode for you, Mike, because it's a, it's a triggering thing. You know... I think there's a weird mood. Uh, even suggesting this part, we haven't talked since the Raptors game, yeah. uh, and I was throwing in, you know, suggestions into the group for what we want to talk about today. Nobody was getting back to me. Everybody was in a very <laughs> weird mood yesterday. I'm sl- maybe slightly getting out of it. Like I listened to the Bill Simmons Rosillo podcast, and I, my stomach was just churning the whole time because you they know- were they were going over. All the things that happened in the game. I've been reading the NBA Reddit page, and they're talking about like the fan reaction to the KD injury, and that's making me queasy. So, so a couple things. One, after a loss like that, Shane knows this. Like, I disengage from the NBA. Like, one of the things <laughs> that like. Uh, one of the things I love about the NBA is like after a win, I can like you can go and you can read Raptor Republic, uh, uh, like morning coffee. You consume all of this NBA coverage. It's so fun to read. When they lose, I, I part of the reasons I'm so sad is that I basically lose coverage for at least 24 hours, sometimes 48 hours. I have to just like literally yesterday at lunch, I read an oral history of Ghostbusters on RollingStone.com. <laughs> I just I can't consume NBA coverage because I just need to after the loss, I kind of just step out of it. Um, and I've been very bummed, but not because we lost. We have two more shots, and honestly. Without them having KD, like we've been the better team. So I actually, from a basketball standpoint, I feel pretty good, and I think I've come to terms at least with the idea, the possibility that we end up losing this series. And I'm like, okay, if it gets there, it gets there, and I'll have a whole summer to be upset and question why Nick Nurse did certain things or why, you know, I can lament the mistakes or or, or you know the the second guessing all summer long. At this point, this game goes away if they win the next one or Game Seven, which would be on Father's Day this Sunday, which would be I don't know heartbreaking. But mostly, I've found myself very bummed out, not because of the loss, but because of the fans uh, and because of shit that it seems is like popping up everywhere in my office. Instead of people talking about like Nick Nurse not calling the timeout or what, or sorry, calling a timeout with you know three minutes left and then not calling one in the last possession. That's the kind of shit people normally talk about the next day. The water cooler scuttlebutt. All the talk seems to have been about the way the fans handled themselves with um, in regard to Katie's injury, and then also the way that they've treated you know. Uh, there was a video that came out of fans saying, like, fuck you to Steph Curry's mom at the yeah. hotel. Things like this have been happening where it's kind of giving the fans, like, a, just a really bad name. And I feel like the sort of goodwill has internationally or nationally, if you will, like in the States, has sort of like, it's come off. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I was talking to Mike about this yesterday, that Toronto's overrated for being considered a nice place. Mm. Like, People have been rude. Like, no one's probably rude to you, Max. <laughs> Max has the keys to the Yeah, city. he has, like, that hot girl syndrome where he's like, everyone in the world is so kind. <laughs> <laughs> but people have been very, very rude to me in Toronto, and I consider it, it's probably the rudest city in Canada, I would think. You think so? Yeah. No, I'm... What's ruder than Toronto? Somewhere in Quebec, probably. Right? <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't count them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why they're so rude. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> you and Steph's mom can go fuck yourself. 
<laughs> oh man. But I do feel like we got overhyped. So then when we do let people down with the whole like people being excited when KD got injured for a second uh-huh. that p- we our fall from grace is much higher. Well there's a there's three things that I was talking about going into the game um that were bound to take a turn for the worse. They were but not uh, or maybe just level out. You know I'm a real believer in the law of averages. Number one that Toronto is a are all good people and we're always polite and we're, we never get arrested after big wins. That's number one. Number two, Nick Nurse is a coaching savant and he hasn't made one mistake yet. And number three, the Warriors haven't really given us like a classic warrior style gut punch because they do that to every team. They've yeah. been doing that to every team in every playoff series for the last five years. And the Raptors, with the exception of uh, the third quarter in game two, have been susceptible. Like we have not suffered from that. We've been at immune all. to it. Immune yeah. to it. I mean, thank you. And, and those three things all happened last game. You know, it's like Toronto fans started acting like idiots. Nurse made some mistakes, and the Warriors destroyed us in that final minute or three minutes of the game. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, like, I guess what happens, I, I kind of use this analogy to Shane. It's like when something becomes as popular, like the Raptors, they're not niche, but, like, I feel like our fans, our friends, uh, we've been Raptors fans for so long, and it feels not like a cult, but like it is the other. And it's not this sort of mass thing. When a team gets to the finals and they succeed on this level and it becomes a Canada-wide thing, it becomes a party that everybody attends. And so it's like, it, it reminded me of in high school, it's like you'd, you'd be at this cool party, right? And there'd be, like, people that you want there. And then some other people, like, showed up, like, oh, man. Man, like some of the jocks showed up. Oh, they're kind of fun. It's like, oh, that group of girls showed up. Man, they're fun. This party's like really good. And then some of the dudes from like, there's this neighborhood in Hamilton called Purnell. They would show up. And you're like, <laughs> fuck, the party got too big. Everybody heard about it. And now those guys just want to come Purnell here. the Purnell guys are here. They just want to like steal some booze, smash some shit, and be dicks. And it's like, fuck, like this party wasn't for them, but it got so big, you can't tell them not to join it now. And I feel like what's happening with like, you know, there was a, there was a video brutally of uh, some Raptors fans like hitting some Golden State, like sucker punching a Golden State fan in a a Golden State jersey after the loss on, on, on game five. And I was just like, who are these people? Like these aren't the Raptors fans that like, that I've sort of come accustomed to know, but maybe I'm ignorant. I don't know, but I just feel like sometimes there's opportunists and assholes that show up and join this big sort of cultural thing because they just want to like wreak havoc. And I feel like there's some of that going on. I don't think that explains the cheering, the KD injury necessarily, well, but, that actually. but more so the uh, the sort of like when you see these incidents popping up, somebody saying, you know, telling Steph Curry's mom to F off as she's leaving the bus to the hotel. Like, who are these people? Like, wh- what? Like, you're such an abject sort of loser, sad person that you would go to this place like a fan and then you would like taunt the mother of, a, of an opposing player. I just don't get it. I don't get the mentality. And it's like, get the fuck off the bandwagon. Yeah. Seriously. So your theory is it's just bandwagon fans doing this. A true fan wouldn't do that. The maybe. isolated thing, like the the, the, the assaulting a fan saying the fuck you to Steph Because pussy. if you watch that video too, like dude, there are other guys you can hear briefly on the thing going, no, 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 dude. That, that he ain't like, they're basically kind of telling Steph's mom, this guy ain't us, you know? And I just think there's some people that show up. Yeah, the guy that said the effer and the, the P on whatever it was, CP24. We can't say I, pussy anymore? Well, I don't know. I just, okay. But I, I, Aisha Curry, and it was just like, it's just like, it's been a bad look, but I do think that like sometimes one bad apple spoils the whole cart. And I think on a mass majority, I do think Torontonians are nice, and I do think that we're a good fan base sort of in a larger sense. Oh, I think we're nice, but yeah. I think we're no nicer than any other average city in the U.S. Right. Like, I think we're a little nicer. I do too. Yeah, I this think... This is the conversation Shane and I had yesterday. Sure. Well, why do you think that? Um, 
don't know. There's something a little edgier or more demonstrative about a Boston fan or a New York or Philly fans, for example. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, 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 like... I mean, an average city in the U.S. Like, I'm not saying New York or no, Boston. We're on, we're on par with those cities. We're just as big yeah, as Boston. Yeah, we're as big as that. Like, we're comparable to those cities. I know, it's but those size. are the known, like, asshole cities. Sure. I mean, the average city in, not like the big city. Yeah. I think we're like a very average city sure. in the States. Yeah. Um, well, before we sort of get into these things, it, it was an interesting experience for me even watching the game because uh, I watched it in Jurassic Park. That's right. And I mean, if, if, if they win, this would have been a, a more fun story. But ultimately, uh, so Greg came over for dinner. He wanted to hang out with Winnie, uh, my brother Greg. And Danica made like this, like she made like a really nice spaghetti dinner. We were like, oh my God, like it's going to happen. We're going to win this, this, this championship after, you know, 20 years of rooting for this team and caring so, so intensely. So we had our dinner and Greg's like, I'm going to get us in Jurassic Park. And honestly, like, I'm so grateful because I know people wait like it's 7 a.m. two days before to get in Jurassic Park. And because my brother uh, works for MLSC and has a bit of juice, he, we literally just walked in and we went through like the media entrance. And watching Jurassic Park is actually fucking awesome. That's what he said. I saw him after the game. He said it was amazing. It was so good. Did you guys go out after the game? Uh, for a one beer. I it, couldn't it, imagine going <laughs> out after the It was the most depressing bar. Like we just like, it was Ugh. a bar around the corner from your house. And we were like, let's go from one. And like, it was pretty empty nobody was in a good mood. I was like, man, if the Raptors had won, this place would be burning to the ground. It's insane the way people act. When I left work, there was a, so so down John Street, there's ballroom, lineup all the way down Richmond. Uh, Jack Astor's were beside that lineup all the way to ballroom. Office pub lineup all the way to Jack Astor's. Cooters, like it looked like a concert people were trying to get in. Everybody was at bars at 5.30 trying to get in to watch this thing. It was really electric. It was really cool. And I mean, sad they didn't pull it off because it would have been amazing. But anyway, ultimately, we go to Jurassic Park. It's actually awesome in there. If you can get all the champagne boys in there, we should totally watch like game five or seven in there. Oh, really? Is that good? It's so fun, man. Uh, You'd probably get mobbed in there. But it's like, it's like, like there should be a lot of people that would Judging by my reaction when I went on stage at Jurassic Park, I don't think (laughs) (laughs) you might be all right. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so but they have like this it's really easy to get beer it's like reasonably priced the screen is great they don't slam it as much as it looks on that's TV that's what he said you could you could walk around There's space easily. the yeah. bathroom situation is really well thought out it's like being at an outdoor concert that's actually really well planned and uh-huh. organized at a concert you actually want to be at 100%. you don't want to go to any concerts so here's the thing so just as we're leaving to walk to Jurassic Park like I just I got this little vibe like I felt bad because Danica has been with the baby this whole playoff run, right? This has been, what, two months of playoffs? And I literally have been going to games or I'm like, I'm going to go watch with the boys at Real Sports, whatever. And she's been so like, yeah, absolutely go. Like, this is, you know, I can't believe they made this far. It's so good for you. But a part of me was like, if they actually win this, I kind of want to experience the moment. Like, I, I do want to be with my brother. There's only two people I want to be with, my brother and Danica. And I was just like, I was like, is there a way that I can split the difference? You know, because I was just really like, if, if, if they do this, I kind of want to be with her to like hug her and kiss her and then I'll go out and meet up with you guys and go into the night or whatever. So Greg and I go and uh, I'm like, I think I might, I think I might bail at, at halftime to go watch the second half with Danica. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, how do you feel? But he's like, no, do that. Like that makes total sense. Like she's been with the baby this whole run and you know, if she's got to sit there alone and watch the game at the apartment while the baby sleeps. Like I just like, I really wanted to have that moment with her. So I was like classic, like good hunting. I'm like, I'm going to go see about a girl. And uh, so like I left and uh, by the way, stupid mistake because, of course, it's insane down there. You can't jump in a cab. You can't whatever. Mm. So like, I'm still not. And I'd made a couple wrong turns. Like I tried to go up York, and I thought I could walk through the, the masses up to like front. Couldn't do that. They wouldn't budge. They They're wouldn't too budge. Rude. Too rude. <laughs> it wasn't even that they wouldn't budge. It was dense. And the people that were coming, then they're watching the screen because the second half had started by the time I even got to that. So then I have to bail and I'm running and I'm just listening to the crowd like scream. So I'm like, okay, that means that, that, that they scored. Um, and then so finally I come around, I go, I run down Lakeshore, I find a cab, I get in. Um, 
get into my apartment as I'm walking down the hall. I can hear the broadcast coming out of every apartment as I walk yeah, down the hall. Cool. Uh, walk in. Danica's like there, like in the dark, watching the game. She's like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, I wanted to watch second half with you. If this is going to happen, I want this moment to uh, be with you. Huge, like, it was so great. She goes, real, real points on that one. Well, and honestly, I wanted to have yeah. that moment with her. So I was like, uh, she's like, oh, like, there's this thing that's happening. I'm like, because we started watching. And right before, like, I'd say about three seconds before Lowry, like, hits a layup, I hear people erupt. She goes, yeah. She's like, Boston, Boston Pizza is showing the game. And everybody's outside. Uh. And their, their feed is ahead of ours. So I'm like, what? So this is a nightmare for you. You hate this more than anything. Well, because when I'm watching a basketball game, my brain is going a million miles a minute. I'm engaged on a certain level. I watch a certain way. And now I, there's this other element involved where now their reactions let me know whether a shot is going in or not. It was the most bizarre way to watch. So, like, either way, we're having, like, we still had a great time. Were you just punching yourself in the face going, why did I come home? No. I, okay, I, I Listen, the, the, the fact how grateful she was and, and, and the gesture honestly was worth more. And if they won, it doesn't matter because it's, like, ultimately, the, the cheering was great because then I got to try and predict how who, if it would be a pull-up three or a drive or a dish. So, in some ways, it was kind of gave me a choose-your-own-adventure and, and I would predict what would happen. So, kind so of you became, actually preferred it in the end. I, when they were winning, but here's what I'll tell you: is in the end there when Clay and Steph get hot in that last two minutes. You know, we lose that seven point lead, and there's dead silence from the streets. I know, right? Instinctively, and on that last Kyle Lowry shot, I knew it wasn't going down. Uh, I knew it wasn't going down when it was still in Kawhi's hands. That's how much the the delay was. Because I was like, I did the quick math in my head. I'm like, they're down one. There's like eight seconds here. Kawhi's got the ball in his hands, and I said to Danica, I go, they're losing the game. We would have heard it already. She goes, Yep. And then Kyle. The shot gets blocked. It's out of the backboard, wow, and then I just like sat down and, I'm yeah yeah. Anyway, uh, it so it was crushing. Yeah. So like uh, having a sad ass time machine. Be honest, yeah. <laughs> but it could have been an exciting, an amazing time machine. Yeah, and that's the way these things go. It's a make or miss league, as yeah. they like to say. Anyway, that was how I consumed the game, and then I didn't even look at my phone. I was just like, Danica and I sat there and talked about stuff and i was just like i, I gotta go to bed mm. and i like i had a perfect buzz on like it was perfect like, we had a couple gins at dinner then we had some drinks in jurassic park and then i had another gin when i got home and i was like ready to kiss her and then go out into the streets and meet you guys and obviously we know how it turned out but that was my experience of game uh five i will not be watching any more games at my home because of the the delay i can't do it that way so yeah. so and uh what about you shane where'd you watch it well, as everyone knows, I've been very negative about the Raptors because mm. I would not allow myself to believe that they were going to win. Mm. So I was like, ah, I'm just going to watch it at home. Fuck the melee. They're going to let us down anyway. <laughs> like, it's raining out. I'm like, I don't even want to attempt to go to dress. Is this Park. a reverse jinx thing you're trying to do as well by being mm. negative? Like, because Virgil's been doing that thing lately. No, it's just the way I feel. Like, every other series, and Mike knows this, like, when Mike's been very down, I was like, trust me, we're, we're going to win. We're going we're gonna to beat Philly. Here's why. We're going to beat the Bucs. Like, we're going to come yeah, back. Yeah, we, we flipped, kind of. Yeah. You have been very positive all the way through, and then I was very positive for the finals. Mm-hmm. Because I just can't believe. Like, yeah. life will feel surreal if the Raptors win. Yeah. Like, I'm... I'm in a weird scenario because when Mike started liking the Raptors is almost when I stopped being into basketball because yeah. I've been into the Raptors since uh, 94, 95 yeah. season. Like I knew every Shane player Shane lived through the, the Jordan stuff. Yeah. Like I missed all yeah. that. I was busy like getting and I, I was and very, very obsessed. So for me, I was like, <laughs> I was holy cool. shit, this is like the thing I thought would never happen when I was a kid is finally happening now, but I won't let myself believe it. So I'm like, I'm just going to watch it at home, kind of get into it. And then obviously I'm jumping around, I'm yelling at the TV, the whole Durant thing. I did exactly what the crowd did. I was like cheering way too long because I save that. I want to get into the Durant thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then um, 
I'm still like, okay, we, we have a chance. And then with three minutes left, obviously Kawhi hits those threes, and it's like, holy shit, we're going to win this game. We're up by six. He was amazing in that run. Too, and it yeah. just felt like everyone in the crowd knew, like, here's our Disney moment. Let's let's not dump the Gatorade thing over Nick Nurse's head yet, but yeah. let's get it ready. And not that they do that in basketball, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean. And then uh, Alex went in the other room, poured us two shots of tequila for us to cheers and do a shot once they, they win. And we had already had, like, two or three drinks. So this would be the shot that actually makes us kind of feel drunkish. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what happened happened, and it was just a fucking nightmare. I've had a cloud over my head since that moment. Like, all all yesterday, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I just felt fucking horrible. That was the perfect shot for Lowry to hit. It would have been... I know. Like, and he, he was panicking at the end, like that horrible turnover where he just threw the ball away to no one. I guess he thought it was Marcus Gasol, mm-hmm. and it just went to uh, right to uh, the other team, and then Clay Thompson hit a three. Like, when we were up by six, yeah. I thought, I was like, you know what? Like, I, I, Part of me, I think we all do this. Part of me goes, I can't believe this might actually happen. And then and then you go, no, but nothing ever good happens to us. You kind of oscillate. You go back and forth. And when we were up by six, uh, we, I was out at the game. I went with Kyle Dubas. And he and I, we were kind of like holding each other for a second. Like, this, this might actually happen. But in my mind, I'm like, you know what's probably going to happen? I'm going to be realistic about this. Clay and Steph are going to hit a bunch of threes, and we're going to be down by 19 in 45 seconds, yeah. which is a bit of an exaggeration because it was only like, you know, two and a half minutes ago, and that's exactly what happened. And they did the thing that they hadn't done to us quite yet. But um, the the Durant thing is so interesting. Um, I put this in our... I thought you I thought your analysis was pretty interesting. Should I just read it directly? Sure, yeah. This is what Max wrote in our basketball group um, shortly after the, the Durant thing. Uh, he said regarding this because Max was in the building with Dubas and how was hanging with uh, Kyle. It was awesome, such a sweet dude. Oh, we'll get that story. Okay, so people in our basketball group started getting getting on the whole thing, and Max says, "So this is me as Max. Do you want to read your own voice?" Or should I read? Okay, I had chills in the arena as the KD reaction was transpiring. It was the most human set of reactions happening in real time. One, humans are assholes and competitive, and we're so thirsty for a win that not having to deal with KD was actually such a relief. He was lighting us up. When he went down, I didn't cheer, but I was happy. I was thinking, fuck Golden State, all in caps, and their smug show-it-all, uh, know-it-all know it all management for thinking he should come back. Two, then I felt very sad for this poor human. Three, and then everyone literally gave him a hero send-off like he had just come back from war. The KD chants were loud and from the heart. The full spectrum of human emotions in literally 10 seconds. So strange. Yeah, so I had chills. That's... that's um. And I think more context is you got to remember, KD um, came out um, during warmups. He's wearing this like boxer style like hoodie. He's looking like a menacing guy who's going to destroy us, right? And then he starts to destroy us in the first quarter, and then he starts jawing at Fred Van Fleet. Remember, yeah. remember that moment? Yeah. yeah. So he's acting kind of like a like confident. the heel. Yeah, he's yeah. acting like an asshole. So when he first went down. It was more, my mind went to a boxer getting knocked out. It wasn't like a guy suffering a really, like, sort of tragic, you know, year-long injury. It was more like our guys just knocked him out. Like, it had that boxing match feeling to it. And so that's why I was like, fuck you. And and, and, and there's also I was thinking about, fuck Golden State for thinking he should come back. He's the, He doesn't belong in the series. It was irrational thoughts, but it was so happy because it opened a door for us to win. But, I, and so I... 
it's funny. It's like I know the, a lot of the U.S. media is killing Raptors fans for being like heartless, and and all the players on the Warriors are saying just because know. they had us on a pedestal, though. Yeah, yeah, sure. But but I do think there's that's that two or three seconds after it happened where it really felt like a like a great boxer getting knocked over, which of course it's not what it was at all. It was just a freak injury. There's not a lot of reports on the KD chant that happened afterwards. That's yeah, and the KD chant bit. was like I mean they got him off the court pretty quickly. And they and it was loud in there. Like the, the the score network has a great angle of like him walking yeah. off and people like chanting KD and it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a nice moment. And I, I think humans are human and you know, you can't rile up nineteen thousand five hundred people who have been drinking since after work. It's a nine o'clock tip off. Serge Ibaka goes the other way. You know what I mean? So one you're cheering for the play because at first you think KD turned it over. Greg and I were in Jurassic Park for this and when he went down, I, we honestly thought Serge had just picked his pocket when he tried to cross yeah, over. Yeah, that's it. what I thought. And I was like, holy way. shit, Serge is amazing. I couldn't believe it. I was like, Serge, nice hands. And then so he goes, gets the lip. Then they come back and he's still on the floor and he's kind of rubbing his leg. And great, we, did, we didn't cheer, but we were like, looked at each other like big eyes. Like, oh, fuck. Like, he injured the calf. You just thought, oh, the calf is, uh-huh. and he's done for the game. I, didn't, I wasn't even like, I honestly just thought he's done for the game. And immediately, your brain does the calculation. You go, this is good for the Raptors. Tough for KD. But, you know, if the calf wasn't ready, blah, blah. Nobody in that moment knew, oh, my God, is Achilles no, tendon. Yeah, like, and he's guys, guys go down all the time during the game. Like, how, how many times is DeMarcus Cousins or Kyle Lowry on the floor? Every other play. I think, to Shane's point, though, there was there's clips of guys on the sideline, like these rich fucks, like waving goodbye to him. as uh-huh. he's limp- At this point, he's limping off. Once the guy, like, needs help, like, once they stand him up and he's with Iggy and the trainer, th- at that point, you got to be like, oh, fuck yeah. like this guy is like this bad you know yeah but, i just think one out of ten people bandwagoners or not are just kind of like that yeah are are not self-aware and their worst instincts come out at the wrong time and when everyone else is shocked and the uh, kind of quiet like oh my god he's hurt the only people who are going to be loud are the one out of ten so yeah. it seems like a way more people are celebratory than they actually are yeah and i think most people heeded the advice from like lowry and Serge Ibaka, who like immediately that was embarrassing yeah but i don't they think had it was embarrassing i mean they, they had to do it but then everybody goes oh that that kind of snapped everybody into it i thought it was a really good move by them of course okay. and, oh, and of everybody... course it was but the fact that they had to do it i was I a little know, embarrassed but, by but, but this is the thing. It's like, like I think everybody's brain isn't quite working in that moment. Everybody's that so I agree with. Thirsty. It's mass hysteria. Yep. Yeah, and everybody, as you say, is mildly drunk and so excited for. Been a possible reading win. for forty-eight hours about how Katie's this destroyer that's going to come back and he's going to flip the series, and yeah. so it's like they've set him up as this sort of like this thing, this immovable object that like has the t- the fans terrified. Yeah. All anybody talked about the day of the game at work was like Katie's playing, Katie breathlessly looking at updates, you know, and it's like. It's like, of course, they're going to have a reaction that is like relief that that demonstrates becomes demonstrable as like glee. And then it's such a bad look when juxtaposed next to a fucking guy who's on the floor. And then afterwards we find out, oh, the Achilles tear. And for those of you that don't watch a lot of basketball, he'll be done for the year for sure if it is an Achilles tear. Uh, and, the, and guys don't come back from that really. And he's like, it might alter his status as a superstar in a contract year. So it's it's kind of like a brutal thing. But by the way, this is more on Golden State and KD. This is, this is kind of their shit. This doesn't really have much to do with us. The problem is the fans got dragged into this kind of... Well, because all the in the media, all they use is like... Uh, the fans had to be calmed by the Raptors players, and it's yeah. like they use that, like yeah, yeah. like we're all children. Wasn't there a fake video on Barstool Sports that got yeah, circulated? But that around? video circulates everywhere. Like, so there's this famous clip uh, inside, like a bar. It's like a wide shot, and there's this giant big screen TV. And at at some moment of a goal, everybody in the packed bar loses their mind and they start cheering. Yeah. 
what happens is people Photoshop into the TV a bunch of stuff. They've been doing this for almost six months or a year now. So like they were like, oh, the pre- the, the, the the premiere of this season of Game of Thrones. The minute the HBO thing comes up, it's like. Psh, psh, the whole bar goes crazy. Yeah. It's like so like they've been putting up seminal moments and people losing their mind. It's just this thing that's known as fake now. So Barstool Sports had KD going down and they were like this bar in Toronto loving it. And then all the, you know, writers sanctimoniously are like, This is fake, this is bullshit. But I think Barstool at this point knows they're just trolling it. Did you get tricked fake. by it? No, I didn't oh. get tricked. I only saw the reaction from Bruce Arthur who was like this Exactly. Is, this is trash and Barstool sucks. But. but but the thing is it's so it's so known as like a it's almost like a meme now, more so than people trying to pass it off. As fake news, but maybe some people fall for it if they haven't seen it enough. Like I'm hyper on basketball Twitter, so I've seen that thing a million times. Yeah, I thought it was more just like, oh, they're taking the piss out of the fact that some fans cheered. This is they're making fun of us more so than reporting it as fact. Yeah, usually it's just meant to be a funny thing. Exactly. So where are you guys gonna watch uh, game? Well, six? We got to figure this out, man. Yeah. Well, okay. But back to Max. You had a date with the GM <laughs> of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. This is who brought you to the game. Yeah. Like, what, what's he like on a date? Does he buy the beers? Do you buy the beers because he gave you the ticket? The free beers in the board of directors. Oh, right? my bad. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. how ignorant <laughs> of me. I <laughs> uh, no, Kyle. Oh, silly Mike. <laughs> is there anything need to uh, be purchased at all? Um, food, maybe. Nope. Free food. Free food there too. Did okay. he pay for your Uber there? <laughs> he gave me a chip. Nope. Yeah, free Uber. <laughs> Did he give me a piggyback home? <laughs> Actually, no. They had one of the underlings from the boardroom piggyback you guys home. No, it was cool. I mean, um, so he invited me. He invited me before Game Five could have been. A, we knew Game Five could have been a deciding game. So there's a part of me that on like Sunday, I was like, should I text him to tell him like, if you want to bring your wife Shannon, like, I totally get it. Like, you know, she did not know this, and he said, no, the game's too late. Like, she she needs to be at home with with her kid Leo. Uh, so I met him at his office. He's got a swank place. You know, Kyle's a great dude, though. He's very um, – he doesn't buy into the sort of like the traditional hoopla around sports. Like he's a money ball kind of guy. So anything that looks like, oh, that guy's conventionally looks like he should be a certain t- type of player. He's like, t- show me the numbers and I'll right. tell you. If analytics. He's, he's more of an yeah. analytics guy. So I go into his office, uh, just a funny little moment. I was like, man, this is a nice, nice office, nice view. And of course, he's on like the – 15th floor. Oh, so his office has moved up since he's been on the pod. Yeah, that's right. Different office. Yeah. I'm like, I don't think I've been in here because we interviewed him when he was still the assistant general manager. Yeah. Leaves. So I go in and he's like, uh, he's like, yeah, you know, you can fool a lot of people into thinking you're a big wig when you got a view like this. But just like, just being aware that he's like, don't like, don't judge me on my office. Just judge me if I'm doing a good job or not. Yeah. Kind of thing. And uh, Shanahan was up there. We went down to the board of directors to talk to Babs for a little bit, uh, the least head coach and his wife. Mm-hmm. So and a really nice guy. Um, Eugene Levy and Dan Levy were, were back there. Uh, it's, Gretzky was in the house. Yeah, Gretzky was in the house. Yeah, it's, you know, down there, it, the um, board director's lounge is right next to the Warriors locker room. So there's a lot of media um, waiting outside. It's just kind of, and Adam Silver was there. Our seats were two rows behind Adam Silver, like center court, 13th row. Like, they're the best seats. That, the, imagine if you'd gone to game two with Dubas, you would have been two rows behind Obama. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But, um, it, yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, when I got there, I was like, this is like an incredible experience. And it was amazing. But I'll say, to your point, like, and Dubas is a pal. Like, I love being there. If I, if I had, if we, we'd won, this would have been an amazing memory. But also, like, I miss being with you guys, too. Like, I, I really don't think there's a bad way to watch, you know, a Raptors win. And um, I'm trying. Oh, yeah. Also, I, I was sort of, sort of keeping tabs on, like, how many times Dubas got recognized compared to how many times I got recognized. <laughs> And I'm going to say it was like 65-35 max to Dubis. Whoa. No big deal. So, uh, and so I did feel like every time I got recognized, 
I justified uh, myself as his date. He'd be like, oh, okay, at least he's like, you know, bring it. Bring yeah, you're the arm candy. Yeah. Actually, one thing, um, we walked by a group of like younger dudes um, back uh, backstage area, and he and one of them, I heard say like, oh, that's Max from Arkell's. And then we kind of walk a little further. He's like, you know, those 10 guys we just passed, they're all in the Philadelphia Flyers. And one of them in Scott Lawton just said, there's Max from Arkell's. So oh. it's funny. So he knew that, like, yeah. So he recognized all those guys as NHL, NHL players. Um, How many photos are you taking on a night like this? Uh, some photos. Yeah. How yeah. many photos is Kyle taking? Uh, and he knows people in the building, too. Mm-hmm. But, but he, yeah, Kyle's very polite to everybody, too. Like, he, he treats everybody, all the staff, too, like, with a lot of respect. And, yeah, he's good at it. He's good at, uh, at his job as being a very kind of public person. And you got a photo with JYD, I saw. I did. You recreated a famous <laughs> photo. Right. That yeah. was amazing, by the way. Yeah, Danica uh, DM'd me on the side. She said, you got to make that into an actual IG post. Not yeah, just not just a story. Mm-hmm. So did you? I'm going to. Right. I, I, needed, I needed to let the Raptors lost breathe. For, for a second um, I know I know a, a Tough day But you know what I will say I kind of I think people were expecting me To come into the office yesterday Like I just came from a funeral Shane, Can you just tell me What you told Before <laughs> <laughs> Well I was just saying Before you arrived this morning We were talking about this Like your your vibe When you come in It's like it's like You know when like You're hungover You kind of want to act Like you're not hungover yeah. So you'll be like Hello everybody It's a beautiful morning <laughs> But it's like You're overcompensating so it's like I'm just like in a cloud of hell at my desk, and then I hear you come in with that guy Smiley stuff, and I was like, ah. I was like, I know what he's doing, like going against the expectations, right? Well, I, I, I have this whole playoff run. I have gone against my nature, which is to think the sky is falling. So I've actually been positive in certain things. Like when we went down two hundred two Milwaukee, I put in all the groups. We're coming back to to to. Uh, to Milwaukee tie 2-2. Like, I just, I just, at some point I flipped. I don't know, maybe I took a, a note out of your book, Shane, because I was just like, I need to start being positive. I think that shot in game seven against Philly, I just went, this is weird. This is like destiny manifest. And like, I I, I started to change. So like, I, I want to have a good vibe around things. And maybe I am going Instagram because I think everyone does expect me to come in like I'm fucking going to a funeral. Like literally, like Randall, my boss, came up and he like consoled me, like touched me on the shoulder. Like, and so <laughs> did, that, did that, uh, bother you a little bit or you're like don't do that no 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 i i because I, I i you know you play into it all and it's it's fun for them to like see how i react but one of the reasons i was saying too when we we're talking about who you watch the game with you know it's like lots of people are like come watch it in my place or whatever not that i'm like mr popular but like i find a lot of people have wanted people to. know that this is your thing so they gravitate towards you yeah they yeah, want to yeah. watch with me but i start to think like unless i know you super well like are you watching just so you can watch me and so a part of me was like <laughs> No, 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 in this sense, in this sense, this sense only, this sense only. If they win at all, people, like, I know, like, phones come out. Like, it happened in fucking that, that stupid game, uh, game four against Milwaukee. People wanted to see my reaction. Yeah, like, it's true. Mike has a special thing with our friend group. Yeah. Like, they start filming to see mm-hmm. if I'm going to, like, cry or something. So then I get self-conscious and I'm not having a natural moment. So it felt, it felt, that was one of the reasons why it might have been nice to, like, anyway, long story long is <laughs> I didn't want to watch with friends of friends. Like, so it's like when you go to somebody's uh, viewing party. It's not them because those are my friends. It's like they'll have ten people that they invited that I don't really know that well, and so and it's not five even, cameras are on you. Those people yeah. won't be filming me. No. But then it's like I got to cry in front of a stranger. I don't even know if I'm going to cry <laughs> if they win the championship. I don't. What, but what's I don't the difference between that and Jurassic Park, though? What's that? 
What's the difference between that and Jurassic Park? There's so, a lot of strangers there. So Jurassic Park is, if you're a complete stranger and I haven't like shook your hand and be like, oh, hi, I'm Mike. Oh, hi, I'm, mm. you know, Terry or what? I don't know. Fuck. But anyway, and it's just with my brother. And so you're, it's like, it's like a concert. I mean, everybody's going to be having their own moment, which I think people do in their moment. And I know, I know that I'm, I sound crazy right now, but Max, you know what I'm trying to <laughs> yeah, say, yeah. right? Like, I know you're crazy. Yeah. I just, yeah, exactly. So anyway, uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, for game uh, six uh, tomorrow night, uh, what are we going to do? Yeah, we'll figure that out. We will figure it out. But, I, well, the nut finally broke the silence. He hadn't talked to me since we talked about the shirt incident on the podcast. <laughs> so I, I, you never know if you're in one with the nut. We're about to go to New York City together. So I was like, well, I wonder if the you know, the ice is going to thaw. Is he okay? Well, he reached out and he's like, where are we watching game six? Oh, he's cool. like, are you booking the room at your place? I was like, uh, they don't stay open past 11. And he, I think he's trying to sort out real sports, actually. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. Why would it? Yeah, we got to figure it out. Figure it out. We got to figure it out. All right, next subject. Next subject. So Max, last night you went to the Billie Eilish concert. I think it's Eilish. Eilish. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So uh, my eleven-year-old Billie Eilish, big eyelashes. My eleven-year-old uh, niece Emma, uh, she's graduating from grade six, and my sister uh, called me looking if I could help with tickets. They're two hundred dollars for the lawns. So I said, let me make a call. I was able to secure four tickets for Emma and her friend Kate. Lauren and I were chaperones. Um, so you shelled out eight hundred dollars? No, 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 they were free. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they bought the beers, right? No, no, no. Board of directors at uh, yeah. Bud Stage, um, and and then I was like, um, I ended up actually at the Raptors game meeting an old friend who who who's kind of a big wig now at Live Nation, who's kind of running this tour, and and I asked, I was like, is there any like meet and greets happening? And he said, yeah, there's like a radio meet and greet. Let me sort it out for you. So uh, so we took them down at five o'clock, and we got to meet. The woman herself, or the, oh. the girl herself, she's not even really she's a woman. Seventeen, she's seventeen, and yeah, Emma and her friend Kate were very excited. Uh, we got some pictures with her, and I was trying to think. It was funny though because everybody there was probably between the ages of uh, probably like eleven. Emma was probably one of the youngest there, eleven to like sixteen, seventeen years old, and then there was like me and Lauren there, and I'm like twice her age, and we're all trying to think like, what do we do? We even ask for a photo. <laughs> Yeah, it felt a little weird asking for someone who's... You, what you should have done, like, do you mind getting a photo and then handed Billy the camera to take a photo of you and Lauren? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would, she would have liked that. I got to say that she is a very confident young person. Like, she's very at ease with herself. She can make kind of conversation with anybody. She Like, when she hugs everybody, it's like a real, like, kind of soulful, close hug and just very... Very natural at talking to people because sometimes there are famous musicians who you know can perform in front of thousands of people. But when it comes to having a one-on-one conversation, they can be kind of awkward. She's very at ease. Emma asked her what she should put in her yearbook as a quote, and she said something weird like you "Suck my toe." From Billy, I don't know. It was a weird <laughs> idea, but um, but anyway, I was trying to think. I was like, I should. It was, uh, what what, I, what what am I going to say to her? Which is just a funny thing for like a thirty-two-year-old grown man. What did you used to write in your books? Oh, I got some embarrassing shit in there. I don't remember, but I just I just know whenever I look at a yearbook and there's messages that we write, you know, that you wrote in your friends' yearbooks and stuff like that, it's just all embarrassing shit. So I can't even look at it. What did you write in your books? I would never do it. I always wrote, uh, it was a quote from, uh, I, I wrote, Time is the Fire in Which We Burn, and it was a quote from Star Trek Generations. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so then... I was thinking, <laughs> <laughs> I did it because I, I, it's seemingly deep, but I always thought it was funny that it came from Star Trek. So I was doing it in a way. So that, reading it in a funny way? I was doing it in an ironic way that I knew what it was from, but I think some people might read that and think it's it, it, it meant something, but it really was just what, you know. Well, once I gave my yearbook to a friend and he wrote in it, uh, age and youth look upon life from the opposite ends of the telescope. And I was like, <laughs> this sucks. I'm not doing I thought we were going to write like inside jokes yeah. and stuff. So I then I was like, okay, no one else needs to sign this. I was doing 
it ironically, knowing it was from Star Trek Generations. Um, and it, it's quick to write. It's very quick, you know. Anyway, go on. So, so, so she's really great with people. So she's good. I, we're, Suck Lauren my and I toe. are the last people in line. There's maybe like forty people there. <laughs> <laughs> no, because we're kind of picking up the rear. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, you know what? You know, I was in LA a few weeks ago doing some co-writes, and the thing which is interesting about Billie Eilish is that her audience, again, is mostly like girls between the ages of like you know ten and twenty, but. Uh, indie rock guys and music producers of actually music producers of every genre love her new record. It gets played on the edge and in, in indie eighty eight. It's really transcended every format on radio, and the production is really interesting. Her brother, who plays in her band, did all the production, and I heard stories from other producers in town saying that oh yeah, like this is a big priority for Interscope Records, which is a Universal property. And when they were working on the record, because there was so much buzz about it, they wanted to send in any help uh, they wanted. Like, do you want Max Martin? Do you want any, like, the big biggest heavy hitters to help with these songs? Because with these big pop projects, usually there's a lot of hands, you know, in the pot to make sure it goes right. They told them, no, we don't want anybody. Get the fuck out of here. So the, the album is really just Billy and her brother. Wow. And I think that's actually what makes it sound really unique and interesting is because if you had some quote-unquote pros at the helm, They'd go, oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. It but starts that's, to sound like everything else. Yeah, because but that's what makes it unique. So I was going to s- tell her a story, but hey, just so you know, I'm in a band, and you know, a lot of people really respect your work. Down in LA. <laughs> but uh, and, and and thankfully, there wasn't really enough time to. I think when she saw me, she was like, "Who is this dad yeah. here? Like, who is this fucking guy?" Um, so I so I was just like, "Thanks for doing this." She's like, "No problem." Like she had probably the least amount of. I was the last in line, but probably had the least amount of interest in talking to me versus the other 39 people that yeah. were there because I looked so out of place. But afterwards, I was like, I'm so glad I didn't say that. Try to connect with her. Try to connect with her. Because cause like literally... Like she doesn't need my confirmation that like her work is respected yeah. by music industry yeah. professionals. <laughs> <laughs> like when I thought about it, I was like, "What a ludicrous thing to say!" Do you think she'd be like, "You think she's gonna leave?" I'm really glad they they like me over there. <laughs> that random guy that said people respect my work. Ooh, that felt good. It's like, it's like, Shout out from stage. Like, like, do you know like how many like famous accomplished musicians are just dying to meet her? Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like you know, there's that famous moment at Coachella when she and Bieber finally meet and you know that Vanity Fair uh, video piece but like a year later she's just talking about all like the famous musicians that are actually young and cool that like text her regularly anyway so that that was like a funny realization but you did get a photo with her I did yeah you didn't post it I'm gonna post it when when, when Lauren and I actually I was thinking the caption should be mom and dad with our daughter Billy Uh, oh there you we'll work on it after (laughs) (laughs) send it to the group I said we'll work we'll brainstorm that (laughs) Um, Um, but but anyway the other thing which I thought was interesting was just the fashion at the show so her fashion is very like 90s and objectively, kind of ugly, right? Like it's like choke, <laughs> choke. It's, it's baggy sweaters. It's like, like very baggy sweaters, cargo uh, like camo pants. Um, bucket it's comfortable. Else, they're very comfortable. Bucket hats. There's a lot of like neon orange shit. It's just like a Len yeah. video. If anybody remembers the yeah the new Radicals video, yeah, yeah. yeah. But all the kids are dressing like that. She it, she did that in my uh, Calvin Klein ad. Did, have you seen it? No. It, I just saw it on her Instagram she posted, but she like said this thing about how she doesn't want anyone to like know her size, like her clothing size, because it's not about that. She doesn't want people talking about her body. Yeah. So that's why she wears like the baggy clothes and stuff, because she's like, I don't want that to be like my narrative. Yeah. So interesting. badass. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. And, uh, Are you a fan, Erica? Huge fan. Love her. Yeah. Um, amazing performer. She was uh, really like 
seemed like she'd been doing it for decades up there. She was like so mm-hmm. comfortable. Uh, nice, and she has this floating bed stage bit where basically she, her and her brother do a song on the bed, and it's like this dreamy song, and that's in the middle of the set. And then she closes the set with what's the big hit? Um, Bad guy. Bad guy. Yeah. yeah. No, what's the other one? There's, anyway, she finishes the set. She's like standing on this bed that's floating on the stage. It's really, really cool. And yeah, she really delivered. But it really felt like a Beatles concert. Like it was so fucking loud. Screaming young screaming. girls. Screaming. And there's that decibel that only screaming girls get when they're singing along. And it's just like because it's a little higher that you couldn't even hear her voice. Like it was it was, a, it was a really incredible experience just to, to be there for it. Do you think on some level that's what sports are for men? Like grown men, I know. I know men and women enjoy sports, but when I was just trying to think of it, I was sort of comparing. We were like, oh, like all these teen girls are screaming like ridiculously for Billie Eilish, and they're so young and influenced, and you know they just get frenzied up for some this entertainment. Here we product. are, like yelling about Kawhi, screaming at grown men yeah. that have like literally like like I don't know, man. Like I, I there's something interesting to me about. But that. we're not saying these girls are dumb for. Dumb. No, I, I didn't say yeah. that either. But I think that there's certainly a dismissive tone to like when like. When, when teen pop, like when you're when you're a Backstreet Boys fan or whatever, like we make fun of, not make fun of, but I think we're somewhat dismissive of like, oh, to be young and like, you know, just anything will get you excited. Like, yeah, it's, it's Nick Carter. But it's like, I'm like, ah, it's Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. I will say this <laughs> is why like, though. Is, is sports pop music for grown grown people? Yeah, probably. And But that's why I loved what the Raptors do on a good day to adults is they make people believe and give hope and bring like real joy and bring people together yes which is the thing that a lot of adults just don't do very often you know what i mean like it, you it, lose it. in a communal way yeah you lose that sense of like wonder and fascination and, and um yeah i think that's a that's a good comparison i think that's why the raptors run i think has been really special like people because we all get to feel like a billy eilish fan who's 14 yeah exactly and you lose that at some point along the way through life beating you down or realizing how the world works yeah and it's these momentary things where it's like oh this makes me happy and yeah. i can just let loose the um the lines from merch. Uh, I was talking to some people who work at Budsage. They think they that she broke whatever the record was because wow. literally there was lines outside the um, Budweiser stage before the doors open for merch, and then literally up until she played, uh, each merch stand had like a line that was five hundred people long. It was crazy. Was the merch cool? Uh, yeah, it was cool. It was cool all merch. XLs. Yeah, yeah. No, seriously, <laughs> that's, that's stuff. Bucket hats, like orange bucket hats. Did you buy one? I'd be uh, amazing if we but came I did in buy today one and you had a bucket hat. <laughs> yeah. By the way, a lot of people went to that show. My Instagram was littered with, really? with her at that show. Yeah, a lot of my friends were there too. I saw oh, interesting. Okay, I guess a lot of the people that I was surrounded with were, were younger. But Yeah. Um, it was interesting. Actually, you know what? Maybe it was industry people. It was. You know what it was? It was people that work for like oh, sure. Ticketmaster, Live Nation, stuff like that. That's what it was. Yeah. But oh, also, I'll say Nut, Nut was there, I saw. Oh, he was there? Yeah, I think he posted a video. I could be wrong, but uh, um, also, um, oh, the other funny thing that was interesting was at the meet and greet before we enter the area, the Amex Lounge where the meet and greet is. There's um, a production manager who's like kind of a cool-looking 30-year-old lady who says, "All right, we have some ground rules. Just want to go over." It. And she's clearly done this a number of times. So she goes, "You know, so the, it's really important for you to remember that even though you know, think you know Billy well, and you have, you know, because you've." been watching her for a while she this is her first time meeting you so you just got to remember that when you're talking to her 
you just have to remember that she doesn't know who you are. So just remember, keep that in mind. Also, just remember there's a lot of people here. And we want to be mindful of each other's time. Also, Billy's a great hugger. She'll give you a hug, but please don't ask for any kisses or, or, or grab her uh, chest area. Was she making strong eye contact with you at that point? <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about you. If there's any grown men here who maybe feel out of place. <laughs> Uh, and she's like, you know, before you meet Billy, it's really important that you breathe because sometimes, you know, it's it's you're very excited and you forget to breathe, so make sure you breathe. Oh anyway, all the kids, were, it was actually super helpful because all the kids were like, "Yep, you're right, you're right, you're right." <laughs> like it was. Anyway, clearly they've done a number of these and they've had many fainting. Yeah, yeah, she's like, you know, and don't pull out any inappropriate. Um, parts of your body for the photos like clearly there's been random <laughs> weird shit yeah. that has happened to her at these meet and greets and uh anyway so you go, go in there and it's billy's mom who's doing the photos oh wow so so basically you give her uh your your phone she'll video the interaction of you and billy meeting for the first time and then she'll swipe over to photo and take a photo with you so she so her mom's like really a big part of it what do you think she wow. makes for that job <laughs> I think her dad's involved too. I yeah. think it's like a whole family thing. Yeah, she must know a lot about phones because sometimes my uh, like my stepmom will hand me her phone. <laughs> she has like some like weird phone that I don't know how to operate. Yeah, no, I was quite impressed. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, she, she, another thing she said, she's like, please make sure that there's enough memory on your phone. Oh, that'd yeah. be so you annoying. Probably, but if you're like yeah. me, I can only get one photo off, so make sure that you've cleared off enough memory. Smart. Yeah, it's really yeah. And as somebody who has to take photos of somebody that's and at a meet and greet and those people because we've been in that situation before and be like, clear your fucking phone. So anyway, th- it was a real pro operation. It's cool. Yeah. Um let's get to the next subject. I was gonna ask any concert stories from from your youth that were worth uh telling. Is oh, anything uh, I saw uh what was my I think Weezer was maybe one of my first like kind of like concert concerts or at least the first one that I remember really enjoying and going to as a band that I like I really liked and I crowd surfed during oh uh, you did yeah during uh, Only in Dreams which was pretty awesome oh cool so it was magical but I wasn't like soup. like I was probably I don't know I was in my teens for sure mm-hmm. yeah yeah mine was probably like Kings of Leon yeah when you were 22 or something yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Erica um, my first concert was Hillary Duff. Oh. <laughs> but um, the first time I saw the Jonas Brothers, I cried oh, at really? the concert. Are you excited about their comeback? I'm so pumped. Yeah. Their Have album's you seen their amazing. Doc? Of course. It's amazing. Is it good? Yeah. It oh. made me think completely different about Kevin. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Well, how did I you used feel about him before? Well, I used to chirp him here and there, but like he got really bullied about it. And like he was so much older. He was just on a different phase of life. Mm-hmm. He fell in love really young. Are they still together? Him and his wife? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, two kids. Oh, there you go. Are you attracted to Kevin? (laughs) No. Oh. Who are you more attracted to, Nick or Joe? Joe. I think I'm more of a Nick guy. So Nick 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 has always been a little bit better looking, but Joe was the funny guy, so he always got me. I think (laughs) Joe was the better looking guy. Then all of a sudden, Nick got all buffed. Nick got buffed, yeah. Yeah. And then Nick became the better guy. And Nick's the talent too. I did yeah. a yeah, uh, Nick it orbits around sing Nick a little bit better, sure. yeah. yeah, I did a co-write. Um, actually, it was for with my heart so is yours. And uh, that guy had worked with er- Jonas Brothers in the in the early days. And I was like, oh, what's the deal with that with that band? And he said, Nick's a fucking genius. This guy's been uh, a writer who's been uh, working for like three decades. And he's like, Nick Jonas is one of the most talented musicians I've ever been around. Even if you yeah. watch an interview now, though, when you, when they were younger, it was like Joe would handle all the questions yeah. and stuff. Now, 
they do not talk. They just look at Nick the whole time. Wow. <laughs> it's very weird. That's interesting when the younger brother ends up being sort of the alpha dog. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he's the Michael Jackson. You yeah. know, you, you basically mm. come into your own and then it kind of becomes apparent who... Who's who, running the show. Exactly. And who the and maybe when he was younger, it was like he didn't feel comfortable in the media setting, whereas then he sort of started to evolve uh, in the background as like the musical force. And then now it's like, we'll just defer to Nick. And Nick also had the most successful solo career out of all three of them. Oh, for like, sure. Yeah. Jealous is an amazing song. Yeah, like when he left, he's like, ah, no, I can, like, I can be the Timberlake if I want to. And then now getting back with the brothers, why did he do it? It's just like he, he missed his brothers? Yeah, they said they need to grow up on their own. You know what I'll say, though, is Nick, um, actually, manager has a good theory, is that if Justin Timberlake sang any of Nick Jonas's songs in the last three years, Justin Timberlake would be even more popular. It's, it's like the, the, the quality of the material from the Nick Jonas stuff is actually really good, but he hasn't quite broken through as a solo artist in the way Timberlake has. Right. So Timberlake's never had to go back to, the, to NSYNC. Right. But I think there's an op- like if Nick Jonas played Toronto himself, maybe he'd do Rebel. Oh, fascinating! So, thought. but but now with the Jonas Brothers coming back, it's like they're going to be selling in every arena, probably. Scotiabank, two nights. See, right? Nick Jonas cannot do that business on his well, own. Well, he might not yeah. have the dancing chops. That might be the main thing that separates. He tried. Him. He, he tried there. though. Like I, here's the thing: like Timberlake <laughs> tried and realized, oh, I don't have to do this with the band. I can do this business by myself, no problem. Nick Carter tried and said oh, i have to go back to the backstreet boys that's where i can actually make my money yeah so i think nick jonas is doing a nick carter move going back to the thing that worked but it is the dancing i think that separates him because justin's <laughs> such a good dancer right that oh, he's kind of like a michael jackson Justin's a triple threat dancer yeah. singer actor yeah although we could debate the acting whereas yeah. both nicks i don't think can dance Does nick jonas dance um mm, no not really. not really i think he surrounds himself with dancers when he was doing the jealous thing because he, he did the mmvas yeah he had the suit and they had sort of he kind of, you know, but he's like, Timberlake's yeah. like a trained dancer. Like the kid, he's like one of those kids that does everything. As a kid star, he did everything. And then now as a, as a man, yeah. Yeah. Like part of the package. I think Nick's like probably at heart, uh, acoustic guitar. To me, that's the X factor guy. though, between selling out as a solo artist. Sure. Did Nick even though release a full yeah, solo album? John Mayer could do it, so. Arena. He did? But he oh. was always in the uh, right thing. Right. Shawn Mendes doesn't dance either. Yeah, he's yeah. a guitar guy. But he never started in a band. Thing. Oh, sure, sure. Like a pop band. Yeah, I'm just saying if you want to separate, you got to be the, the dancer. Uh-huh. Could any of the 1D guys sell out an arena? Cause, yeah, cause I've Harry, seen. No, Harry already did. Harry yeah, already did uh, Scotiabank. Can true. he dance? Nope. There goes that theory. <laughs> 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 That's good. Uh, okay, let's get on to uh, Dodgeball. Okay, so I, I, I just found out about this subject as I walked in this morning. I saw Shane Bunny goes, oh, we're going to do this thing on Dodgeball. I'm like, well, as long as you set it up, I, I can talk about it. Well, I was just regurgitating what Max told me. And I was just putting in what <laughs> Erica put in the group. So, <laughs> so yes, Erica, uh, take it away. Set it up. Yeah, I'm freaking pissed. <laughs> Whoa. Let me pull this up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, basically, there's not really much to it, but there's this um, movement, I guess, that started out west in Canada, and there's this group of... I don't know. Do they work for the school board? Maybe. Know. You're setting it up. Okay. And they, um, I'm not good at this. We already went over this up <laughs> with SNC Lavalin. It's way easier than SNC Lavalin. Um, and they want to take dodgeball out of schools. They want to ban it in all schools because they think it's organized bullying. Legalized bullying. That's what the headline says. Mm. So dodgeball. Do we, hmm. do we think dodgeball is legalized bullying? Well, now it's uh, like my wife's close friend is on like a near like Olympic level dodgeball team. Yeah, adults like, play it. It's a very serious thing now. And I think it's closer to becoming a legitimized sport than it is 
becoming like a bullying thing. Well, I guess what we should do is get to the essence of what the sport is. Is there any other sport where the goal is to literally throw an object at somebody and hit them to target them? Mm. I guess that's especially at a, I guess at a youth level. Well, if you look at football, it's even worse. It's the goal is the person who has the ball to hit them as hard as you can to bring them down. Right. But you like, play touch football, so you can kind of get it right. And there's an organization to football, meaning like you work in concert as a team to sort of like advance the ball. You set blocks. You're kind of working together to sort of lift a piece. Dodgeball is a very kind of individual sport where it's like you're just picking off people in chaos, just throwing things at them. Well, it goes back to... I, I, I'm doing the devil's advocate thing. Yeah, sure. um, there's this um, great researcher writer named Jonathan Haidt um, who just put out a book called The Coddling of American Mind, of, of the American Mind. And he's been on lots of podcasts that we listen to. And his whole theory is that kids are coddled too much and that you need to build resiliency by letting them go out in the world. And he even talks about like what age did uh, you start walking to school by yourself? And people that are in their 50s and 60s said, oh, I started walking to school when I was like six years old by yeah. myself. And uh, the younger you are, the later you start to walk into school. Yeah. So if you were, if you're now like <clears throat> 23, you can walk to school until you were 11 or 12 years old by yourself, because because parents, there's a lot more helicopter parenting and coddling of the kids. So my question, going back to this dodgeball question, is this like, okay, is this a is this a situation where like there's the kind of the slow wimpy sort of uh, unpopular kid who gets picked on at a dodgeball game by the more popular athletic kids? And do we need to protect that kid? Or is this something where we go, you know what? This is going to build resiliency if you are that kid and you'll be better for it. I was that kid. I was that wimpy kid with glasses who got hounded on during dodgeball. And that made me who I am today. Oh, wow. Made you the party animal that you are today. Yeah. (laughs) Gave you the confidence to go behind the bar and drink straight from the tap. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Did did you dread playing dodgeball, though? Like, did it give you anxiety? No, I liked it. Because I've always been competitive. But I was never good at it. Right, right. It's a fine line because I'd say a, a lot of kids like would roll the way you do and go, you know, I'll I'll figure it out. But then there's there's this probably smaller percentage where you go, you know, you kind of have to look out for them to make sure they're not being taken advantage of. And then there's not something traumatic happening to them. I think phys ed in general probably gives those kids anxiety. Like they don't want to play yeah. soccer. They don't want to play floor hockey. And, and I get it because it's like, well, I'm not that good at it. So I'm going to feel targeted. I'm going to feel like I'm not contributing. And I'm just like... It, like there is an anxiety if you're not inclined to enjoy sports or you aren't kind of decent at it in the first place. Well, that that's like math for a lot of people or any other <laughs> science. You're, you're for looking me. at one. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, um, yeah. So I, I mean, I think it's an interesting conversation because dodgeball is a very unique sport. There's no other sport like it. Like it's very. It's a weird sport, right? Like baseball, I always say, is a very weird sport. It's very abstract. Like who invented baseball? It's weird. It's yeah. It doesn't – like every other sport is basically war. It's like this is my end. This is your end. We're trying to advance something into your end. We're trying to infiltrate. You're trying to stop us. That is the deal. And maybe someone that plays dodgeball can speak to this more. I'm sure there are strategies in order to win. But really, it's just throw a ball and hit somebody, and then they're out. So there just, is crazy strategies. Totally, to sure. Like It's yeah. like whether you gang up, whether you use certain things, whether you have people that block and go in a purse. I'm sure that like in, in any game, you're going to find people that are very good at figuring out the best way to optimize winning in those sports. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Like I don't know. Like, I guess it gets back to a question about... like. Do we coddle kids too much? Do we need dodgeball? Or are we fine letting them play soccer where they're not? Like, nobody's, unless you're the goalie, nobody's, and they're not trying to hit you with the ball. No other sport, they're trying to hit you with the ball. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. It's unique in that sense. Every, every other sport is advancing a ball or working in concert mm-hmm. to like, this sport is literally, I'm trying to hit you with the projectile. Yeah, but rugby, for example, is a very dangerous sport that was very popular. In the high kids school. don't play rugby. They're in not like throwing things school. at people. Because this is like an, this is a great two game. Okay. Oh, like, so and football wouldn't count either because they don't play. They wouldn't tackle. play contact. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. 
So 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 like yeah, it's like you're getting projectile thrown at you at like. And, and does the ball or, hurt? Well, no, but mm. but emotionally maybe. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying here's my here's my here's my thought. Obviously, I didn't know about this until I walked in today. I can see where those parents are coming from as far as this sort of like movement of like let's try to ascend and make life just a little bit easier for everybody. Uh, but I also, when I was a kid, enjoyed dodgeball, and I think that like. It's not that heavy when you think about it. I think kids do rambunctious things, and it gets energy out. And it's not—I don't think it's—it's it's nothing personal. And it were could, you top of the class in your gym class? I—I'm uh, like—I'm pretty good at like every sport. Like, so I didn't—I didn't have anxiety about sports because I could hang. I was never the best player in most of my classes. Were you but more was, in the middle or upper middle? Probably upper middle. Like, I probably get picked like you know in the first few picks. Um, so I don't—I've never really been picked last. That being said, I've also played. You and I were on a team where we played in a basketball league as adults that was like absolutely above us. Oh, those guys were like those guys played university ball or like European professionally. Like it that. was the most demoralizing experience <laughs> of my life. I couldn't even fucking dribble the ball up the court without some dude like hounding me and basically stealing the ball from me. Yeah. I was like, I was like, why did we enter this level of league? So like in that sense, and, and that's and I'm a grown man and I felt embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was you know. So I guess what I'm saying is I have a lot of empathy for like kids that maybe aren't inclined to athletics or don't enjoy sports and are like, why is this mandatory? And it's like physical education is should be mandatory. I think like get out and run, do something physical. But I can also also see that there'd be anxiety and like oh i don't want to be picked last this is the worst feeling in the world i already have like the you know the dirty jogging pants because i come from this situation and now i got to go and get embarrassed on like a baseball field okay last question yeah. um what age uh, assume you guys live in the same place you live now what age are you gonna let winnie and lou walk to school by yourself okay well here's the thing with that i'm just looking for a number well every, <laughs> just kidding, I, well no that's fair but everything <laughs> these days is regret management. Mm. So it's like, do I think if I let Wynn walk to school uh, at age seven, it's fine? If the school's close enough, sure. But in that one in a million shot where she gets taken or something, mm-hmm. you'll always regret it. So it, so basically all parenting decisions, I this is my theory, are basically a form of regret management. Mm. Meaning like, if the worst possible outcome happens, will I regret this? Yeah. And then you have to measure that against and that's reason. That's where the helicopter thing happens. And But that's the thing. So, peop- But you can't live in fear all yeah. the time. You have to go like, you know, is it, is, it more, is, it, is it better for me if I walk her to school until she's 13 or something uh-huh. um, in case the crazy thing happens or it will be more healthy for her to have some autonomy and feel independent walking to school at eight? With a higher risk. With, or whatever. But if there any, any yeah. risk, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, I, I do think it's risk management, and you'd have to ask me at the time. And my wife obviously has a major say, but I don't know. Do you have a number off the top of your head? That was a really long answer for me. Five with whistle. <laughs> <laughs>